0: Welcome to Cannabis Science Today. My name is Emily Fada, and I will be your guide as we converse with scientists and physicians to learn more about cannabis as a plant and how it can be used as medicine. If you've been following along with us for season two, you'll see that we've been expanding our scope beyond just cannabis to cover the medical and therapeutic potential of a wider range of psychedelics like MDMA, psilocybin, and ketamine. We're seeing a lot of efforts around the world to decriminalize psychedelic medicine, so I really hope this will be a good resource to educate about the current state of science and research on these different types of medicine. In other news, we are on Instagram at cannabis underscore science underscore today. So find us there to ask any follow-up questions or to just join the conversation about some of the topics that come up on these episodes. And as always, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Today we are featuring Dr. Johnny Lozano, an exercise physiologist who specializes in the field of cannabis and exercise science. While he was working on his PhD at the University of Northern Colorado, he and his advisor established the first cannabis and exercise performance laboratory in the nation. In this episode, we discuss patterns that he's observed in his research between cannabis use and exercise performance, and essentially we discuss whether chronic cannabis use affects your athletic performance, and he measures all sorts of parameters, everything from anaerobic fitness to pulmonary health to the presence of C-reactive proteins in your blood. This episode is also really interesting because um, we talk about how some of this research indicates that cannabis could be very valuable to be recognized as legitimate medicine for high-level athletes, especially NFL players or other professionals who experience a lot of injury or inflammation in their sport. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, And I'd love to get started by hearing more about your research background and what kind of piqued your interest on exercise science and and cannabis.
1: Yeah, so originally um thanks for having me by the way but um originally when i was starting my research i was actually a a exercise and cancer researcher so kind of learning about how exercise can potentially mediate some of the negative effects of cancer therapy like chemotherapy and whatnot and during my masters there was this kind of transition period for me where i I wasn't necessarily liking the research I was doing. I was doing a lot of animal-related research, and it just—I wasn't vibing with it anymore. And then the opportunity came up to work with this new professor that had just come to the University of Northern Colorado, Dr. Laura Stewart. And we started an initial research project looking at the effects of kefir on the microgut biome, um, and really started exploring that. But then it kind of almost happened by coincidence um, and just kind of dumb luck that we started researching cannabis and exercise. In one of our classes that Dr. Stewart was teaching, a student brought up if cannabis had the effect or the ability to impact exercise and how that would affect their performance. And Being the good teacher that she is, she said, You know, I really don't know, but I'll look into the literature and I'll get back to you on that next class. Well, we had a data collection section um, later that day, and her and I started talking about it. We started looking at the literature, and this was back in 2015, and we realized that there really wasn't anything out there, at least nothing that was current, nothing that was relevant, especially being in Colorado. We had just done the recreational legalization there really wasn't any information out there. So we kind of joked at first, we're like, Oh yeah, you know, we're going to become the cannabis researchers, but lo and behold, that kind of spiraled into us starting our first um, study in 2015, kind of just taking a broad approach and recruiting these individuals that were physically active using cannabis products at least one time a week for the past six months and seeing how their performance compared to age match individuals that were also physically active. We looked at a whole bunch of different health parameters, and that's kind of how my kind of journey into the cannabis field started. I, I'm Looking back now, I feel like I know so much more than I did at the start. I feel like I, you know, it was just, you know, the basics of the endocannabinoid system, the CB1, the CB2 receptors, and Basically focusing on THC, and now, you know, we have this whole wide new world of research um, that's really kind of helped my research and other researchers branch out as well. But that's kind of how I started so, in on the field. Yeah.
0: So was that so was that first study? Was that the chronic cannabis use and circulating biomarkers of neural health? Uh, was that the first
1: research no. study,
0: or was it? Because I know you did that, but you also did a survey study.
1: Yeah. I, I've had a couple studies come out. The first one was, mm. um, that I described was, I'm trying to think of the exact title off the top of my head, but it was something, uh, along the lines of, you know, uh, physically active, um, male participants chronically using cannabis and health or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I can't really, it's been so long. I yeah. Can't no really worries. Get the exact no name worries. Off the top of my head, but
0: was it performance was, and health-related characteristics of physically active males using marijuana? Yes. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Uh, published in the Journal of uh, uh, Strength and Conditioning Research. Uh, okay. JSCR. So, yeah.
0: So tell me. So let's break down the study. So what were you looking at, and and what um, what did you find?
1: Yeah. So like I said, there really there wasn't a lot of research out there. So our approach to this first study was very much exploratory. So we we took what I kind of refer to as a shotgun approach, and we wanted to look at all these different parameters. So we wanted to look at respiratory pulmonary function, um, so basically how well your lungs, your bronchial, your respiratory system is functioning. And then we looked at resting heart rate, we looked at resting blood pressure, we, lo- we did a slew of performance and test uh, assessments, so including a VO2 max assessment on the treadmill, we did a anaerobic Wingate assessment. So I don't, have you ever heard of that
0: I haven't, uh, no.
1: test before? So basically it's the way I used to describe it to my students when I was at UNC, it's the, the worst 30 seconds of your life. You're on a bike, you're pedaling all out at a resistance that determined, that's determined by your body weight and you're going all out for 30 seconds. It's terrible. I've had multiple people throw up after doing this because it's a super maximal assessment. So we had them do that. We looked at their power production. We looked at strength. We looked at some of their balance. We looked at their core stability, this wide range of performance factors. And then we also looked at a couple very basic um, health parameters as well. So since this was in males, we looked at testosterone levels just to see if chronic use was affecting they're um, circulating testosterone. And then we also looked at a, another biomarker called C reactive protein. So what's really interesting about C reactive protein is it can actually be used as an indicator for risk for cardiovascular disease. So are you at low risk, moderate risk, or high risk? Um, so we took blood to measure both that testosterone and the CRP. And the results that we found, we initially kind of took this approach where you know i look back and i like i said i feel like i was so naive at the time but we thought that the chronic use of cannabis was going to have a negative effect or a negative impact on performance compared to our non-user control participants so what we saw was that actually really wasn't the case um like i said we did all these you know tests we did looked at all these different factors and really the only thing that we found that was significantly different between our two groups was their anaerobic fatigue. So going back to that 30 second Wingate gate assessment that I was describing, um, we found that our cannabis users had a higher drop in their initial power output in the first stage of the assessment compared to the non-users who had a less drop from the start of the assessment to the end of the assessment, which you know, we had, I think something like 60 plus different variables. And as a scientist, you have that many variables you expect, you're going to see, you know, a lot of significant differences between these two groups, but that really wasn't the case. And that kind of really caught me by surprise. And, you know, being a, a cannabis user myself, that was kind of an indication that, you know, maybe, maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe cannabis isn't Detrimental to athletic performance, a physically active lifestyle, a a healthy lifestyle. Um,
0: and when you say the anaerobic fatigue and the drop rate between that um, thirty second test on, on a bicycle, does that mean that everyone they were starting at the same rate or the same pace based on their weight, and then it was the cannabis users who um, couldn't maintain that pace, and they. Yeah dropped out. Yeah. Yeah, Could you just clarify?
1: Yeah. So basically when I'm talking about the anaerobic fatigue is we are taking their initial power output. So everyone, since they're going to have a different weight, their initial resistance is going to be just a little bit different, but we have some equations, um, that we can use based on the circumference of the flywheel of the bike that we're using the resistance to determine how much power they're producing. And so that initial power that they're producing the first five seconds of that assessment will kind of consider that as a, like their 100%, their peak performance, the highest power that they're going to be producing. Mm. Whereas over the duration of that test they're because of the energy demands, because it is a very strenuous assessment and requires a lot of energy, the muscles are going to start to fatigue and they're not going to have that energy in order to maintain that Power output over those thirty seconds, so it's going to start to gradually kind of diminish that power output over the thirty second assessment, and that anaerobic fatigue is basically that diminishment from their initial power output to their final power output. Mm
0: -hmm. And was that really statistically significant across the entire group of cannabis users?
1: Yeah. So comparing the the overall average of our cannabis user group to our non user group there was a significant difference present between that anaerobic fatigue. So we found that they, they did have a higher rate of fatigue in our cannabis users compared to our non-users. Mm-hmm. We're still not 100% sure as to why that might be. Um, there is some research out there suggesting that cannabinoid receptors like the CB1 receptor may have an interaction with our mitochondrial function. It may impact other enzymes within the cells that contribute to the metabolic function of the skeletal muscle cells, but that kind of that side of performance research is still very limited at this point in time in regards to cannabis and cannabinoids. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And were all of the were all of the subjects, all of the participants in the study that you were looking at, were they all? Um, it, involved in like different ranges of physical activity and exercise outside of, um, the testing or did it really vary?
1: Yeah. So we had some variation there. We tried to recruit participants that were of a mixed, um, kind of, uh, endurance and resistance type of training. So kind of almost cross training type athletes. We didn't want to be too far into the spectrum of, you know, just endurance athletes or just resistance athletes because we were kind of taking the shotgun effect. And typically, you know, you think of your average physically active person, they do a little bit of both. They they might lean more to one side on the resistance or the endurance side of their training, but typically it's a combined approach. So our basic requirement was that they were kind of they were both or everyone was engaging in some form of endurance and some form of resistance exercise and that they were at least meeting ACSM's uh, weekly physical activity requirements of at least 150 minutes of moderate physical activity a week.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So other than, and other than the anaerobic fatigue among these participants, there really wasn't any difference between the mm-hmm. cannabis users and the non-cannabis users.
1: No, it, there there wasn't, which as a researcher, you know, just starting my PhD after finishing up my master's was intriguing yet frustrating at the same time because in research we have this propensity to only focus on finding significant results. We we need to see a difference between our two, our two groups, three groups, whatever it is. But for me it was really kind of a an eye-opening and a learning opportunity to see like, oh, like from my kind of perspective now like the lack of results is still significant it means that cannabis is not having either a positive or a negative impact mm-hmm. on this performance so
0: and were you able to control the ways that the um the cannabis using group consumed cannabis or did you have data or information on whether they were smoking or whether they were using edibles and, and what kinds of cannabis they were using
1: yeah, we, because, and this is something like looking back now that kind of, you know, it frustrates me about the study because we, we were at a point where we couldn't control it. Um, we couldn't, you know, standardize the type of cannabis that they were using or the strain or how much THC, how frequent they were using, when they were using. But what we tried to do was find participants that were using cannabis primarily through inhalation methods, kind of What whatever method they were using, if they were primarily using through inhalation, we wanted to at least standardize that. It didn't really matter what type of method of inhalation they were using, but we wanted to make sure that it was consistent across those lines. Now, going into future studies that I'll hopefully be starting in the future, we're definitely going to try and start to control that a little bit more and looking at You know, specific strain, THC percentage, frequency, those sort of things. But because we were just starting out, we we didn't really have the ability to be, you know, too picky about the type of participants we were bringing in at that point in time because it was such a new and novel area of research for us.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. And this was probably several years ago too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We started this back in 2015 was that first study. And then I think we eventually got that published in um, 2017, 2018. So...
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you're completely right in the sense that not having any statistical significance or not really being able to say that these two control groups, there is any difference between them is actually very valuable um, mm-hmm. to the world outside of science, you know, to professional athletes or um, people just curious about this subject. So I think there's a, a lot of value in just saying, all right, there are no major differences between these two subject groups. Um, but, but I'm also wondering, because I know you also did a survey to see, um, let's see, this was another one called Patterns and Perceptions of Cannabis Use with Physical Activity. Uh, mm-hmm. And this one, it sounded like you were trying to understand patterns between cannabis use and physical activity. Uh, and you had that opportunity to look at how much they were consuming, what methods of ingestion, whether they were using the cannabis before or after physical activity. Uh, so I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit more about, about that study.
1: Yeah, the, the kind of interesting thing about this study is looking back, it's probably one of my more favorite studies that I've done so far. Um, it actually started as kind of a, a fun side project for me to do while I was collecting data for um, some of the other um, research projects you've uh, noted in regards to cannabis, because, you know, apparently as a PhD student, I didn't have enough to do at that point in time. <laughs> so I decided to do a, a whole new study that was outside of my comfort zone. But we, we wanted some data to kind of start to understand how individuals were using their cannabis in relation to their physical activity. Like you said, when were they using it? How much were they using? Were they using before, or during, or after their physical activity? what type of different activities were they using it with? Um, these are all questions that we kind of wanted to answer to give us some ideas for future routes and future studies that we could potentially pursue. Like if there was a high degree of people using with, let's say, um, skiing or snowboarding, you know, maybe we could do a study down the line looking at how cannabis perf- or cannabis use could impact skiing or snowboarding performance. Um, one interesting thing about this study is that we found that there were a lot of individuals reporting cannabis use with yoga, which, you know, kind of makes sense. Um, but we had never really considered, you know, looking at athletes in that category and how cannabis could potentially impact their performance, their state of mind, you know, why they're using with that activity. Um, so that's kind of why we initially delve into that area, um, and did this survey study.
0: Mm -hmm. So were you able to draw, um, any interesting results from, from looking at that in terms of saying, okay, cannabis use before or after, you know, certain athletic activities can actually be beneficial.
1: Yeah, I think, um, for me, the biggest takeaway was that we found that, we asked a very basic question. We we asked these participants that took the survey how they felt that cannabis impacted their performance. And what we found was that 77% felt like it had a positive impact on their performance. 20% said that they felt that it didn't have any impact on their performance. And then only 3% felt that they had a negative Mm -hmm. impact on their performance when they use cannabis. So it, it was kind of really, really cool to see, you know, this paired with the initial study that we did, you know, we found that there wasn't necessarily an effect on performance in that first study that we talked about, but Mm -hmm. the perception of these individuals that are using cannabis with their physical activity, they're largely, they feel like it, is having a beneficial effect; that it's having a positive impact on their performance. And in addition to that, we also how asked, do you
0: think how do you think these participants are measuring their performance subjectively?
1: Yeah, I think you know because all,
0: I, I think these could be very different. Um, you know, these could be very different indicators. I think our performance could be how much we enjoy the experience, or how com- how calm or comfortable we feel. Maybe especially if it's a you know a sport like skiing or snowboarding, where there's some some risk factors, some anxiety. Mm-hmm. Cannabis might quell that. So, so yeah. to me, it seems like I think it's interesting to have both of these data sets. But but the way we might subjectively evaluate our own performance, especially not as you know high level athletes, especially if we're just regular you know, regular people working out. So yeah. yeah. So, so I'm wondering how how you might differentiate those um, indicators.
1: Yeah. That's the, that's definitely more the individual's feelings on how they feel like it affects it. We also ask questions on why they were using cannabis in combination. We left these questions open-ended, which was, super fun to read through some of the answers that we got um, in these open-ended questions from these people that were using cannabis. But what we found is that they were using it for motivation or to help mediate pain, to help get them into the gym, to increase kind of that, that flow state, that vibe that we have when we're really just in the zone and we're we have this mental connection with what we're doing at that point in time. And I think it's those reasons why they reported that they felt that it had a positive impact on their performance, because, you know, especially if someone has, let's say arthritis or something like that, and arthritis can be debilitating. It can, you know, cause a lot of pain. It can cause a lot of inflammation in the joint. And, you know, every time you move that joint, you're going to be feeling pain. But if someone can use cannabis and help mediate that pain, even just for a little while, that gives them the opportunity to be active and work out, you know, they're going to feel like they had a better workout when they were on cannabis as compared to when they weren't because their pain is seemingly more dissipated. um, Mm. And what subset
0: of that research group do you think were people who were experiencing pain,
1: chronic pain or... I'm, I'm trying to think the, the numbers off the top of my head. I know it was a, a significant proportion. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing about pain was we asked them why they use cannabis products before, during, and after their physical activity. And pain was the only response we got consistently at all three time points before, after, and during. Uh, okay. It kind of switched from before, During and after, as to some of the reasons why these individuals were using, um, but pain was by far the the only one that was consistent across all three time points.
0: Interesting. So, so perhaps the survey was skewed to recruit people who are using cannabis during physical activity because of pain. Whereas, if you're not really experiencing pain, it it wouldn't occur to you to use cannabis before working out, or or wouldn't feel necessary.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily skewed towards people who are using it specifically for pain. Um, I think it is definitely skewed towards people who are using cannabis with physical activity because that's what it was designed for. But, you know, like you mentioned, maybe because these individuals were experiencing pain, it made them more likely to want to go work out. is that kind of...
0: Well, answers. no, I've actually, I think, I mean, it's it's tricky to really point at the exact variable, but but I would say absolutely if we were to look at a large subset of humans who use cannabis versus don't use cannabis, I would say probably people who are drawn to cannabis probably do experience more chronic pain than yeah,
1: people who don't. Yeah, yeah. Of
0: course. I, yeah, I'm not trying to criticize the validity of this study.
1: No, no, no. It's, it's definitely... Uh, uh, um,
0: yeah, that's definitely something. Like the subset of cannabis users probably do have higher levels of chronic pain compared to a, a control group of non-cannabis users.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a
0: reason. There's a reason why people why people seek this out as medicine.
1: Yeah, I mean, and especially you know, considering you know, being a lifelong athlete, being physically active, you know, I whenever I experience pain um, in my younger years, my first thing that I would turn to would be ibuprofen or Tylenol or something of that manner. Mm-hmm. But as I kind of went through my undergrad, my masters, you know, I learned about how how much damage, you know, those types of like NSAIDs and painkillers can do to your body if you're taking them consistently in excess. And for me, you know, I was more looking for something to kind of replace that, that was more natural, um, that could potentially be easier on my body. So even, I guess even me, maybe I'm biased. I, I kind of first got into, you know, cannabis for, you know, the pain aspect for post-exercise recovery for muscle soreness and things like that, as, um, opposed to, um, stuff like ibuprofen and Tylenol. Mm
0: -hmm. And there are a lot of professional athletes who advocate for the use of cannab- cannabis or to be able to be allowed to use cannabis um, mm-hmm. in sports, and especially the uh, the NFL in the United States. And there's yeah. so many professional football players who who are activists and, and really believe that cannabis should be used for pain relief, inflammation, and, and as an alternative to opiates. Mm-hmm. So so what do you think? And how could this research might actually um, help? You know, promote that cause. And what is the best way based on your knowledge of exercise science and cannabis, what is the best way to incorporate cannabis into an athletic regimen? Is it really best used for recovery or is this something that athletes should have the opportunity to use, you know, prior to practice prior to a game? And, and if, if that's, you know, an option, then does it have any performance enhancing abilities that we need to be aware of?
1: yeah i I think ultimately you know if we are going to start to permit these athletes to potentially use cannabis in combination with their competitions and practice and training schedules, you know ultimately, I think that should be left up to the the athlete in determining how they want to use that um for themselves because you know we're all different, we respond differently we use different supplements. We eat different foods just because we kind of gravitate towards those differently. But I think at first to, to kind of bridge that gap at first, to first integrate it into these professional sports in these athletes. Um, I think it's, it would be very hard to, you know, get these, uh, major organizations like the NFL or the NBA to, let their athletes compete or practice while they're under the influence, because that could potentially be a a liability for them. Um, if they get injured or something like that, when they're under the influence, Um, we, we don't know quite yet if the acute use of cannabis, so just a single use of cannabis is going to improve or impact performance. That's something that I would love to kind of start looking at, um, down the line here in the next uh, year or two. But I think initially where it would best suit these athletes would be potentially for recovery, um, helping them mediate that pain post-competition. I mean, I I've spoke to multiple NFL players that were either currently or after their careers in the NFL. And, you know, we see them as these big, burly guys they're very highly trained athletes and we see them out on the field doing these incredible things with their body but what we don't see is the stuff behind the scenes you know that monday through friday even saturday they they're hobbled they're experiencing a lot of pain they're basically every time they're out on the field they're experiencing these miniature car accidents it takes a huge toll on the body they're going to be experiencing a lot of pain inflammation. I think that is the first area that we could start to begin to integrate cannabis use to help mediate that pain, to help mediate that chronic severe inflammation, to help them get back onto the practice field, not experience as much pain. And ultimately, perhaps that could even let them perform better, even if they're removed from the use of it, because they're mediating that inflammation, they're having a better kind of recovery progression Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. yeah I think that's that's really interesting and and valid I really hope to see um yeah these these athletes being able to design their own pain Mm -hmm. recovery programs because it's I mean football especially it just looks like such a brutal sport
1: yeah it's I mean I I used to play football in high school and you know even at that level, you know, you're going through just these massive collisions every play and it, it takes a toll on your body. I mean, even as an 18 year old kid, like I, I had a bum shoulder, I had a bum knee, I had a broken foot, like Mm. it, it takes a lot out of you. And I'm sure at their level that's exacerbated to the nth level because they are these large individuals that have been doing it for years Um, but I think we need to start to kind of integrate not only the science, but the education as well. And, you know, you probably, you know, face this a lot of times as well. There's still, it's diminishing, but there's still a social stigma towards cannabis use. And I feel like there's a large, large portion of people out there that do probably use cannabis on a regular basis, but. They might not necessarily be open about their their cannabis use because they're afraid of how friends, family, colleagues might judge them because there is this social stigma attached with it still.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, before we get into well, actually, um, before we get into one of their paper that you you worked on, I want to talk about a headline of. Um, some of the research in the exercise science field. And this is something I recently learned about, but I guess there's new research coming out of Europe saying that the runner's high, so that feeling of euphoria um, that we might get after a period of intense exercise or a long run um, is actually might be caused by endocannabinoids instead of endorphins, a scientist's long thought. So I'm wondering if you know about this, you know, about this study or about what this new research could potentially mean in terms of understanding that connection between um exercise and, you know, the feel good effects and also cannabis and the feel good effects.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, you know, when I first saw this study when it um came out, I was it, it was kind of this Thing that kind of almost like a light bulb went off in my head it was like oh well that kind of that makes sense because we have this high prevalence of endocannabinoid receptors within the brain um primarily the cb1 type but we also have some other receptors cb2 trpv channels you know the list goes on it feels like we're discovering more receptors every day but we also have um serotonin and dopaminergic receptors that we have also observed can be reactive to cannabinoids, um, especially phytocannabinoids like CBD. Well, our body naturally produces these things called endocannabinoids, endogenous cannabinoids, so they're natural to your body. And they have a similar chemical structure or 3D um, structure to these phytocannabinoids. That's why phytocannabinoids can kind of interact with these receptors within our body is because they're mimicking these endogenous cannabinoids that we have. And this research came out suggesting that when we're exercising, we get endo, excessive endocannabinoid, endocannabinoid release from you know, our muscle, our brain. And when that happens, that's going to start to saturate these cannabinoid receptors, these dopaminergic receptors, these serotonin receptors, and kind of produce this feeling of euphoria that we get. I mean, that's what dopamine and serotonin are primarily for. It's to promote a kind of a feeling of you know feeling good, um, lift your spirits, that that sort of thing. So, if exercise is promoting this natural release of endocannabinoids maybe that is what is contributing to the associated runner's high, that feel-good, euphoric effect that we get when we're exercising. And we used to think that it was um, endorphins. And the interesting thing about endorphins is that we do know that there is some increased release during exercise, but they're not readily available to pass that blood-brain barrier as easily as endocannabinoids are. So their effects on the body are less diverse than that of those endocannabinoids that we naturally would be releasing during exercise. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, this new thing within even the exercise physiology world where we're like, well, this is what we used to think, but there's this really convincing research that is just coming out of Europe, like you said, that is suggesting otherwise and that there's a new mechanism of action action, and it's through the endocannabinoid system. And perhaps that's why so many people are starting to naturally gravitate towards using cannabis with their physical activity because it's kind of supplementing or promoting that runner's high that they're getting.
0: That was my next question, and that might be purely speculation <laughs> on my part, but but I am wondering if it's easier. So, if you already are kind of priming that CB one receptor with some cannabis prior to exercise, I'm wondering if it's easier to activate that state.
1: Yeah, I mean, logic would dictate that that might be the case, right? I mean, if yeah, we, you could
0: get a runner's high with running two miles instead of seven. Or...
1: Yeah, and you know maybe because. With my going back to that survey survey study that um, we were talking about, you know, a lot of people are reporting that they're using it to get in the zone, um, kind of promote that flow state. That flow state may or may not be unanimous with that runner's high. Um, they typically are because when you're in that flow state, you just have this such a great feeling, you know, within you. They might kind of be connected, but yeah, it. It's really interesting that maybe we could be using cannabinoids like THC to kind of get a, a natural little boost to what we're already experiencing with that natural runner's high and maybe get it a little bit earlier on in our exercise if we kind of almost if we take um cannabis or the approach to it as like a pre-workout or something like that.
0: Right. And through any of your research, were you able to um, determine if certain strains or certain, um, you know, cannabinoid or, or terpene profiles were, were more useful in terms of activating that, you know, that state of being in the zone? Um, did you see any? Did you see any patterns? Or, or
1: yeah, the the one pattern we did see. Um, we we haven't done any at least I haven't done any studies where we've been able to administer cannabis just because we were affiliated with a university and because it was, cannabis is still federally illegal. We weren't able to administer and look at specific strains or terpene profiles or THC content. But what we did see in that survey study is that um, individuals primarily before their workout, they were using more Sativa based strains, whereas after their workout, they're using more indica- based strains. And it's kind of that old adage of sativa kind of be being uplifting, you know, energizing, that sort of thing, whereas indica is a little bit more sedating. And so it, it's hard to tell if people were using those strains because of those preconceptions or if they were actually using those strains because they were kind of going more towards a sedative effect versus a stimulating effect before Mm -hmm. and after exercise. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it probably is challenging in the research, especially at this phase, to be able to really tabulate and look at certain cannabinoids or terpenes within those strains that they're using. So. Yeah. Okay. So you have one last research study that, that I wanted to discuss, and this one's called Chronic Cannabis Use and Circulating Biomarkers of Neural Health, Stress, and Inflammation in Physically Active Individuals. Mm-hmm. So, so this one, it sounds kind of, from if I'm understanding this correctly, that there was previous research that showed that um, cannabis use could be associated with um, biomarkers of immune health or altered circulating neurotrophins, um but, but it wasn't really that wasn't really separated between people. That was just one block group of cannabis users. It wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, a, a group of cannabis users that was separated into physically active individuals and non-physically active individuals. Am mm-hmm. I understanding kind of the basic premise of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Cool.
0: Yeah. So so what yeah, what were you able to learn? And were you able to actually kind of better isolate that those variables and see if cannabis use was the underlying cause of this better neural health or was it the exercise or or is it both?
1: Yeah, it's actually, it's a really good kind of point and question at the same time was, so the initial study you talked about, we kind of based um, this study off of, they measured these circulating neurotrophins, um, NGF and BDNF. And what ngF stands for is nerve growth factor, and what BDNF stands for is brain derived neurotropic factor. And these are two kind of growth factors commonly implicated in overall neural health. Um, ngF kind of promotes the the health and survival of the the body of the neural cell, whereas BDNF is more the the connectivity between neurons. So, The more BDNF you have, the more uh, potential you have for connection with other neurons. Um, It's more what we kind of call plastic. So it can be easily manipulated back and forth, which is a good indicator of overall neural health. And what they found in that initial study is they didn't have any differences in brain derived neurotropic factor or BDNF, but they did observe significant decreases in NGF of their cannabis users compared to their non-cannabis users. And what we wanted to do is we knew that based on previous research, that exercise has actually been shown to be beneficial of both these neurotrophic factors. It actually has abilities to boost them. That's why, you know, exercise is so great for, you know, cognitive function um, and that type of thing. So we kind of wanted to see if there was a difference between, uh, individuals that were using cannabis that weren't physically active or necessarily physically active. And then individuals that were using cannabis and were physically active. And so we measured both BDNF and NGF in these physically active cannabis users. And then we compared them to a non-user control. And what we found was that, that di- that difference that was observed in NGF in the initial study that we based our study off of actually disappeared. So, there was no longer a significant decrease of, or diminishment of NGF in cannabis users, suggesting that maybe exercise actually has an overall protective effect of NGF. Whereas conversely in, with the BDNF, we found that cannabis users had a significantly lower concentrations of BDNF compared to our non-user controls. However, I will say, um, while the cannabis users did have significantly lower BDNF, their concentrations of BDNF were still considered within normal, healthy ranges. Um, so my kind of takeaway from that, when I tell people kind of the shortened sweet of that study, is basically if you are going to be using cannabis, you might as well be physically active because it, physical activity may have some protective effects over some previously reported detrimental effects that we've seen with regards to those neurotrophins. Um, but yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. It sounds like so much of your research is being able to break down all of these different variables that go into creating you know healthy physiology and a healthy brain and saying, okay, well, is it really cannabis that is the problem or is it? lack of yeah. exercise or sedentary exercise and and if cannabis can help us exercise and then, the, then does that mitigate the potentially negative effects
1: it, exactly can can cannabis affect performance and can it be part of a a healthy lifestyle um, can if someone is interested and they are very conscious about what they put into their body can we in good conscience say like oh yeah if you are thinking of adding cannabis to your your wellness routine, you don't have to worry about that negatively impacting your health if you are physically active, or you know, vice versa. Um, that's kind of the whole kind of point of the research that I've been doing is we have this social stigma, we have these conceptions of about it. How do we address that? How do we put science behind that? And how do we convey that science to? The average everyday person, so they can make informed decisions about their health. You know, I'm not necessarily—I I have my own opinions. I I do use cannabis myself, but I'm not necessarily here to sway people one way or the other. Like, oh yeah, everyone should be using cannabis, or oh, no one should be using cannabis. I want to give them the information so they can make that decision themselves and make an informed decision about mm-hmm. it.
0: And when you're looking at athletes, especially you know professional athletes or people performing at a very high level, mm-hmm. what are what are the alternatives to cannabis to reduce pain or reduce inflammation? And have you because I think sometimes it's always a cost benefit analysis in terms of whether yeah. we choose to use something or not. So so what. Do athletes use instead? Pro athletes use instead of cannabis, um, it, and how might cannabis be compared to that? if We were actually yeah. to say, well, this you know, this professional athlete needs something to deal with the pain and the inflammation of putting their body through through so much uh, yeah. rigorous activity. What what are the options, and how could cannabis you know rate in terms of other alternatives?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the two primary options that are typically presented to professional athletes, um, are either opioids of some form to help manage the pain that they're experiencing. And then also, um, uh, cortisone. So cortisone is, uh, a, it's a steroid hormone. It can have anti-inflammatory effects. It can suppress pain and, We also know with opioids the uh, the issue with those is yeah, they're great at killing pain, but they're highly addictive. And you know, if we're giving these athletes these opioids, they're popping them like candy, you know, for you know, however many weeks out of the year during the season to help mitigate their pain, how likely are they to get addicted, become reliant on those? It's just to me, those both don't seem like great options. Um, especially the, um, the, uh, why is it slipping my mind right now? I just, I just said it, the, uh, the steroid shots, because while they're great at acutely mitigating the inflammation and the pain, what they do is they actually cause fibrosis and degradation of wherever you're going to be injecting them. So if you're Injecting them into your knee or your spine, they're in the long term. Especially if you're using them repeatedly, they're going to be doing more harm than good. And in and my how mind, common
0: are those steroid shots? Like, if we were to look at an NFL player, how frequently are they getting those?
1: Uh, from my understanding, they're fairly frequent. There was actually a a pretty good um, example of this happening earlier in the year with the um, quarterback of the San Diego Chargers, Tyrod Taylor. He had a couple cracked ribs and he was receiving one of these shots um, prior to the game, and the physician that was administering the shot actually punctured his lung um, while administering this, um, which you know, is insane to think of. but that's just one example of among you know hundreds of thousands of NFL players who are probably receiving these shots on a regular basis, especially, since a lot of their contracts are incentivized, so they don't get paid unless they're playing. Um, They get bonuses for how many tackles they get, how many games they play in, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of pressure on these athletes to be on the field as much as they can, even if they are injured. And so their first option when they're trying to get on the field is these shots and these um, opioids just to help mitigate that pain temporarily, so they can get on the field for three hours mm. and put a little bit more money in their pocket,
0: yeah I think that's that's so complicated, and I'm not advocating for I think you brought up some some good points earlier about the risks associated with you know being using cannabis, especially a THc um, base cannabis that might cause you to be inebriated before going into a game. But what about, you know, non-psychoactive cannabis in terms mm-hmm. of like, like for, for some of these players who really have strong financial or professional incentives to play in these games? I, I, and, and I mean, if we also broaden the spectrum to look at Olympic athletes, who some of them only get the chance to compete every four years. So yeah. so I'm wondering, yeah, do you think there is an opportunity over time? Of course, there's still so much stigma around cannabis, but to incorporate CBD into, you know, allowing athletes to use it during performance, totally. playtime, especially if they're injured.
1: Totally. I think, you know, and maybe that is the best first step for some of these organizations to start to integrate cannabinoids with their athletes if they are wanting that option. Because like you said, CBD is non-intoxicating. It doesn't have those psychoactive effects like THC does, but research has actually shown that CBD can actually reduce anxiety. It can promote natural sleep habits. It can help mediate inflammation. All three of those things are things that can benefit athletes and those that are physically active because you know we tend to think that you know performance and progress is all made in the gym but typically that's not the ta- the case that's where we put the work in but a lot of the recovery that is going to help build that muscle improve your performance and everything like that a lot of that recovery is happening while we sleep and if we can sleep better then we can promote Better recovery, we can promote better performance. Um, and CBD has been shown to help promote natural sleep cycles. So that could be one way for these athletes to use it. Um, again, mediating inflammation is another way. You know, we have this thing in the industry, we call it DOMS, which stands for delayed onset muscle soreness. And it's usually that severe soreness that sets in 24 to 48 hours. After a intense, vigorous bout of exercise, and that's caused by inflammation. So all this fluid is swelling into these tissues and causing immense pressure within the muscle capsule, that cavity, and that causes the feeling of pain. It can cause um, muscle degradation if it's excessive for prolonged amounts of time. So there is the potential for CBD to help even mediate things like inflammation and pain-related inflammation or inflammation related pain. And then the other side, like you said, you know, I said earlier, you know, it might not necessarily be acceptable for them to go on the field when they are under the influence of something like THC, but CBD, we do know that it can help with anxiety. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of these players experience high levels anxiety right prior to their performance. So maybe we could be using CBD that can help mitigate mitigate some of that anxiety. So they're not as anxious when they get on the field, thus helping them perform better. Um, and like I said, this is all kind of based on previous research. There's really not a lot of it. it with respect to athletes right now. I've been trying to advocate for it and, you know, slowly make progress on getting more, um, research and, regards to athletes and physical activity in those kind of three areas, but it's a very, it's a very long process and it's been a slow process so far. But that being said, I can say that from when I first started doing cannabis research to now, it's a it's a lot easier to do cannabis related research now than it was back then. Mm -hmm. And that's only over the course of five years. So maybe five more years down the road, 10 years down the road, we can have these, you know, a a lot more research to pull from within this population that we can start to better draw some of these conclusions. Mm -hmm.
0: And that, that segues to my last question. So what are you most excited about in your research moving forward and what would you like most like to study or, or learn about cannabis and exercise science?
1: Yeah, I think, um, for me, what I'm most excited about right now, so I'm actually uh, I'm affiliated with a uh, CBD company that's called Six Degrees Wellness, and we are still partnering with my old university, University of Northern Colorado, to design and develop research projects within this field. And I'm really excited. Um, the individual that kind of took the reins of the research lab that I was kind of Heading up when I was at UNC, he is getting towards the end of his PhD and his dissertation project is going to be one of the first projects where he is going to be administering a specified dose of uh, CBD isolate, 50 milligrams, and seeing how taking that every day over an eight week period affects not only markers of health, but immune function as well and performance. And I'm really excited about that because that was kind of always my end goal when I was doing my PhD, when I was starting my master's is I wanted to do an administration study. And while I might not be directly doing that research, I'm still affiliated with it and I'm kind of helping push that forward. And I'm kind of really excited to see um, more studies like that. Um, And that um, branching off of that, just getting more kind of a, a, broader kind of spectrum out there and starting to get, um, in the mainstream media working with these athletes and slowly kind of destigmatizing the use of cannabis and cannabinoids and seeing how the rest, the research can potentially benefit these individuals, not only the athletes, but, you know, everyday people like you and me as well. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing all of your research and your knowledge with us. And I'm excited to get this out to listeners.
1: Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you you having me on today. I really had a, a great time kind of talking with you about this research.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Cannabis Science Today is so generously supported by the Agricultural Genomics Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to educating the public on scientific research findings on cannabis. If you're interested in donating to this cause or sponsoring an episode of this podcast where we research a scientific research question or theme of your choice, please contact us through agriculturalgenomics.org.